Hey everyone, we are back this week and boy am I glad I am. This week you're going to hear all about a little known group of people that compete in some of the craziest costumes on one of the craziest days in one of the craziest cities. If you haven't figured out by the title of the episode, we're talking about the Mummers. Hear what made Chris say... It's crazy costumes, but there's no mums on... There's no flowers on their costumes, so I'm a little... A little... We, uh... And what made Tom go... Did you just have your own cheering section? All this and more on this week's episode of On a Water Break. Let's go. Set it up. Top of the show. Form. Check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And we'll see you at the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome hey. to another episode of On a Water Break, the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break. This week, we have a great group of hosts and a pretty fun topic that we are going to be doing over two weeks. That's right. Our Mummers episode is a double hitter. This week, Stephen and I talked to John Barron, a longtime Mummer who has participated in the activity for over 35 years. He is a wealth of knowledge on the subject, and the trivia game that they play at the end is quite impressive. Before we deep dive into all that is a Mummer, let's see who's hanging out with us on the sidelines this week. Chris. Yo, what's going on, guys? Happy to be back. Tom. Hello from sunny California. Steven. Hey, Jackie. Happy to be here. And Beth. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm so happy that we get to talk about the Mummers. So, Chris, you told me before the episode started that you know nothing of the Mummers. Did you get to do any research in prep for this episode? Okay, so full disclosure, no. Uh, I did not have a chance to do any research, and all I know of the Mummers is it's crazy costumes, but there's no mums on, there's no flowers on their costumes, so I'm a little, a little, we, uh, uh, I, I have to <laughs> why it's called the Mummers to begin with, and I know it takes place on like a corner of a street in Philadelphia, uh, but that's all I know, and I know that they're really, really, really into this activity, so... I'm really excited to learn more about what this whole crazy thing is. So Chris is a literalist with the mums. Well, he's going down the literal <laughs> mums. Rose parade, flowers everywhere. I was going to say, it's not the rose parade. It's the opposite of the rose parade. That is very true. It really kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get it going with John Barron. Feathers, sequins, banjos, saxophones, double basses, dancers, oversized props, plumbers, UPS drivers, teachers, professional musicians, New Year's, and a whole lot of craziness. Put that all together and plop it in the city of Philadelphia and you have today's topic. That's right, for those of you who are, who are in the know, for those who aren't a part of the John, we are talking Mummers, a Philadelphia New Year's tradition. That's right, Beth. We are talking all things mummers, or at least one section. This time, we're going to be focused on string bands. And this past New Year's, I actually got a chance to work with one of the groups. It was really quite an experience. But before we bring in our first guest, let's get into just what exactly is a mummer. Mm -hmm. So 
According to Wikipedia, the Mummers Parade is held each New Year's Day in Philadelphia, and it's the oldest continuous folk parade in the U.S. Local clubs, normally called New Year's Associations or New Year's Brigades, compete in one of five categories, being comics, wench brigades, fancies, string bands, and fancy brigades. They prepare elaborate costumes, performance routines, and movable scenery types of props, which take months to complete. This is all done out of clubhouses, many of which are on or near 2nd Street, which locals might call 2 Street. It's in the South mm-hmm. Philadelphia area of the city. Uh, these also serve as social gathering places for all the members. That's, that's right, Stephen. And, you know, this parade traces back to the mid-17th century roots, blending elements from Swedish, Finnish, Irish, English, German, and other European heritages, as well as African heritage. Uh, Swedes and Finns brought the custom of visiting neighbors on second day Christmas with them. This was soon extended through New Year's Day with costumed celebrants loudly parading through the city. And it's my understanding that this has been going on for quite a long time. Uh, The Mm. first official parade was actually held on January 1st, 1901, where the first string band Trilby, they were organized in 1898, first paraded in 1902. And they've actually paraded all the way up until their last parade in 2014 which is pretty impressive to me, at least. It is pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a long time. Um, The official parade, it's been canceled only three times during its history, one of which was in 1919 as a result of the Spanish flu epidemic, then in Mm -hmm. 1934 due to the effects of the Great Depression and lack of prize money that year, then just recently in 2021 on the grounds of the COVID-19 pandemic. So really takes quite a special circumstance for this parade to not happen. Philadelphians love it every year. Yes. Um, the comic wenches and other female roles in most of the skits, they've actually typically been performed by men in drag, uh, at least as women weren't officially allowed in the parade until the 1970s. Wow. That feels like way too recently. Yeah, like... people had been voting. <laughs> women had been voting for 50 years at that point before right? they could be allowed in the parade. <laughs> Must be a larger Um, civic duty in Philadelphia. I'm kind of thinking about that for a second here, but you know, but let's get some real perspective from someone that has been around the Mummers for basically his entire adult life and is currently the drill master for the Greater Kensington String Band, as well as the head basketball coach at Gwynedd Mercy College, the amazing John Barron. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I've been called amazing since my kids were like nine years old because I trained them for nine years to call me amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll stick with amazing, at least for tonight, right, Stephen? We can call them amazing. I I can call you amazing for the next 30 minutes. All right, that's fine. I'll take (laughs) take it when I can get it. So, so John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and maybe how you got involved in the string band and mummers and a little bit of your history. So the story about me and getting involved with Stringman is kind of a, it's, it's a unique little story because, um, you know, I, I played basketball. I mean, you mentioned I'm the basketball coach at Gwinnett Mercy University. Sure. I played baseball. I played football. Like I was a sports guy, but my parents wanted me to be well-rounded. So they forced me to do some different other things. And I played saxophone when I was nine, 10 and 11 years old. Hmm. So growing up, most of the string bands at, at that time, because there were 27 at the time. And basically, the neighborhoods in the city of Philadelphia all had a string band. So for for everyone's context, how many are there today? So there are 14 today. So the hobby has dwindled a little bit. Um, But in the 80s, which is a long time ago, when I was that when I was 11 years old, 
So different areas of the city had their own string band. So Harrogate was one, Greater Kensington, which I'm in now, was in Kensington at the time. Of course, there were the congre- congregating groups in South Philadelphia. There were a lot in South Philadelphia. But the string band, which was closest to where I lived growing up, was called Uptown String Band because we were uptown, um, you know, and they were back in the, you know, you know, organized back in the 40s. But it was at the corner of my street growing up. So oh, okay. when I was like a young kid, the whole neighborhood on New Year's morning would wait to hear them start to practice, you know, or warm up outside their clubhouse. And they would go to the elementary school that I went to. And then they would practice for about 45 minutes to an hour and do their warm up. And we would get to know like different people in the band. So like the neighborhood folks started to know Bill Herwig. And I remember and Carmen Delazio and some guys that my parents then started to know and talk to Cliff Johnson's another one. So long story short is um, I was 11 or 12 and my mom would make me practice my saxophone upstairs in my room for like 30 minutes and I hated that 30 minutes. <laughs> um, but what I did was, um, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood were going to go to the string band on this one like November day and um, and kind of go down because they were looking to get younger people involved, which we still do today sure. uh, to kind of take on the tradition. But my mom wouldn't let me go. And I was, I was the one kid in the neighborhood because my mom had some stereotypical thoughts about the mummers. And what it was going to do to an 11-year-old or 12-year-old kid with cursing <laughs> and drinking and some things that I wasn't involved in. But I think my mom <laughs> shares those thoughts today, and I'm 24. <laughs> and well, I'm a dad now, so I think the same thing, and my daughter's 20. So <laughs> long story short is I basically kind of like rebelled slightly and said, well, then I don't want to play saxophone anymore. And yeah. I... So the following spring, um, when the kids from the neighborhood, some of which are my still my really good friends, um, were, were actually joining and going and doing some things with the with the um, the string band, the uptown string band. My mom, my, I got my my best friend was Joey Watt, and his mom talked to my mom about letting me go. So my mom would go down to this, and Jeremy, I mean Jeremy would have to, and Steven, since you did this with us this year, just imagine this happening today, right? So practice was at eight o'clock and it was over at 10. So my mom would take me down at 758 and knock on the string band door until somebody came and answered the door and he, she would hand me off (laughs) at 959. She was standing on the doorstep of the string band waiting to collect me to take me back. Yeah. She wanted no (laughs) extracurriculars. And and I live nine houses from the place. So it's not like, (laughs) That's, so that's how I joined. I mean, I played saxophone. I was actually the kids in the neighborhood, a couple of them actually didn't play saxophone at the time, but it was like a hangout spot. And I think in the end, I think my mom would tell the story that it kind of kept us involved all the time. And obviously I was playing sports, but then when I wasn't playing sports, I was at the mummers club. She always knew where we were. All the, the parents knew where we were. They trusted the guys that were there. And I was playing saxophone already. And then some of those guys started to learn saxophone. And we were in seventh grade or so, sixth, seventh grade. And then when I got to high school, I moved. Um, I met other guys in what at that point was a better string band, um, but it was in South Philly. And there was a, um, a, a family that didn't live too far from me that was involved with Hegeman string band. And then that's where I, I kind of settled for over 30 years, um, became captain of that string band and was doing that for 20 years. And then most recently with the pandemic and some of some of the the, the struggles that Hageman had, 
uh, I decided to kind of sit out for one year. And then I reconnected with Joey Watt, who's that same kid from Uptown. Wow. Yeah. And he's he he was associated with Greater Kensington. And it all kind of kind of has come full circle. And I'm now in Greater Kensington. And he's involved a little bit. And we're trying to get him back full time. But he's the, the connection that got me back to Greater Kensington. So there's my 38 years in, in, a, in a two minute. You know, that was great. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is a great story. It actually, you you spoke on something we were interested in hearing a little bit about. You you started with Uptown and then you moved to Hegeman for quite a while. Um, we were curious, how typical is it for people to move between ensembles or is it normal to stick one place and stay for quite a long time? Well, I think it's like anything else. I mean, like when you talk to people of, you know, older times, like my age and even older, they stayed at their work for, you know, 35 years before they... Right tired and um i think this day and age i mean you talk to someone in any profession and they're there for three or four years and then they're promoted and if they're not promoted in the right fashion they look to move to the next competing company and move on and on and on i think it's um the answer to that in a nutshell is just depends it depends on you know that how stable your string man is i always uh, i always basically say it's like a circle there are groups that aren't as good today that were great when I was younger. And, you know, there are very few, there are a few that have stayed at the top for a long, long time, 30, 40 years. But most of the string bands, I, I kind of equate it to like a family. We own a house, which is our clubhouse. We have electric bills and mortgages and bills to pay. You, you know, inside of your family, you fight sometimes with your brother and make up with your brother and then your sister's involved with liking one brother more than the other. And then your parents have to get in involved. And that's kind of like the administration. But sometimes when people grow up, their lives take a different turn. Like, you know, when I was in Hageman for as long as I was, when my group, when my age group got into our early 30s, most of us had gotten married and started to have kids. And that drew some of those families, some of those guys and gals away from making mummers a priority in their life. So sometimes your your string band, if it's all of one age group or a majority of one age group, and that happens, then your membership deteriorates, and then the amount of money you can raise deteriorates, and then sometimes all those variables add into your New Year's Day performance might not be as good as it has been. So with that all being said, there's so many people that um, that move. Yes, that happens. There are some like me. I was in mine. I never thought I was ever going to go anywhere else, but you know, 30 some years was a lot for me. And I had dabbled at the beginning for two or three years in my neighborhood one. And now, you know, hopefully a long career here at Greater Kensington. So the answer is it kind of varies. I think you equated it to the family, the family concept and the, the people I've known in string bands, as long as I have anyway, you know, that's what they talk about. It's, it's a family, you know, it's a family clubhouse. It's a family environment. What does like a typical season look like? Like when do you typically choose the theme of your show? You know, obviously the parades on New Year's Day, but like when do you start that? And how does the, the season kind of build and evolve from there? Yeah, I think that people often see the end result and yet it's a really it's a year long product. You know, yeah. it starts from the beginning. So right about now, I'm recovering. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, how long does that recovery, you know, you know, take place? Because we're there really a lot of hours in the month of November, December. But, you know, traditionally, you know, theme submission is going to be in February. So, you know, all the groups will get together with their creative people. Um, sometimes those committees are large and sometimes they're not as large, you know, like ours, I think it's going to be like three or four people 
involved with coming up with what our next theme is going to be. Um, and then basically there's, there's three categories. There's the music portion, the production and the costumes. And obviously they all intertwine, but for most of us, um, you know, we have to go outside inside of all of those categories. So we don't have an in-house music arranger. Um, we might with one of your future guests as the, as these weeks go on, but he just joined just recently, but typically we go out to an outside arranger. We go outside to a costume designer and just more recently with, with me, we've gone out to some production people to help with that as well. Um, but then as the day, as the months go on, it's really starts with getting ideas together, lots of theme committee meetings. COVID has taught us that we don't have to drive to the string band club to do that, which has actually been a really good thing. You know, we do it a lot now through zoom. I sit in my kitchen and I don't have to drive 45 minutes to the string band club. Um, yeah, oh, I agree with that. But yeah, we're, we're getting ideas and we're working with a designer, typically with costumes and there's some philosophies behind all this stuff. And then you move into getting your music arranger started. Um, it's a four minute and 30 second production. He usually writes about five minutes. To, you know, that's usually the time that we dwindle it down. Um, and then the production person and people have to be involved with how they're going to utilize colors and costumes and ideas. Um, but typically the springtime, we're getting all this stuff together. We spend the summer um, preparing for the music portion and getting that introduced uh, and getting the props at least started to be built. And then they start to get finished and painted as the fall comes. And when the fall rolls around in September, we are doing uh, extra days on Sundays then um, with what you see on TV with what we call drill. I think we would call that, uh, I don't know, what do we call that in DCI? And it would still be drill. Drill, yeah, yeah it would still be drill. Um, choreographer is usually involved in the fall as well. Now, as the back portion of that with dancers, they usually, you know, rehearse differently than us. And we mesh everything together in November and December. And we bring, you know, the costumes in and props. And once you think you know your drill... Well, you think you're great, and then you have a prop that is way bigger than you than we have, we anticipated, and <laughs> adjustments. And as Stephen can allude to, we were making adjustments on New Year's morning to make oh, yeah. it really go well. <laughs> New Year's oh, morning was when the magic happened. Say that again, Stephen. I said New Year's morning is when the magic happens. Well, I think I, I I always wanted to ask you what you thought of New Year's morning because I am like this big organized, wanting it to be perfect person. But in Mummers, there's got to be crazy flexibility. So I always wanted to know what you thought of New Year's morning. It was, to be totally honest with you, kind of stressful getting it together. But I think we had enough time and it was good to have enough people back there that already knew what they were doing before we started that day. And it all got to like work like one well-oiled machine before we got up to the performance stage. So and I would agree. And my, my goal this year will be to back some of that up and to give Beth a little bit of... Uh, um, you know, background on it is we have, you know, our membership and our people who are going to dance and when there's 67 total people that are allowed to be the maximum number. But quite honestly, it's like anything else you need, you know, you know, a droves of other people to help with changes and prop pushing and prop moving and stage sure. hand. But the problem is with, you know, most mummers, at least string bands don't have stage hands that are actual members. The big group, the top two or three may have maybe 20 or 30, where mm -hmm. we have like 10. So oh, wow. we have to acquire like our family members and, 
think outside the box like Westchester with the alumni and, you know, some other high school groups, oh. volunteer fire people. We were calling in the month of November and December all these, you know, little leagues that have 12 year olds, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. And we were asking everyone to come, but then getting them to come multiple times to be as prepared as I think I would like to be is the issue. So Stephen's talking about our 80 to 100 people that I had no idea their names or who they were or who they were associated with. And Stephen, Jeremy, and I were bossing them around, do this, do that. <laughs> and they were probably like, uh, who are, like, what am I doing? <laughs> they were great I, sports I, about it. Say it again? I said they were great sports about it. Yeah, and it's all about the delivery. I think the three of us did a good job of making them feel like we can't do this without you. Thank you for doing it. I promise I'm going to try and get to know who you are over the course of this day. But in the end, we were really as well prepared as I think we could have been walking into the performance area on TV. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. Um, well, actually, we'll talk about it in a little more uh, detail in a moment here, but I think it's time for us to get back to rehearsal. I know John is looking to check out the Saxes, see who's going to join for next year. Uh, but we'll be back in a little bit here with more John Barron. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. Shop our extensive consignment inventory for great looks for your team that won't break your budget. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. Check out our fun merchandise and gift items. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Contact us for custom show design services. Clean out your storage areas and get money back into your budget with our consignment program. Guard Closet is here to help you get all you want and need this winter season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. Hey, this is Nicole, one of your hosts for On a Water Break, and I want to tell you about The Cookout. The Cookout is an event celebrating people of color in Color Guard. This event is happening in Dayton, Ohio, April 16th, the day after WGI finals at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel, AKA headquarters. There will be presenters and speakers, networking opportunities, food, and more. To get more information on how to get your tickets to go to the cookout, visit marchingcookout.com or visit our Instagram, it's the cookout CG, or our Facebook page, the cookout. We can't wait to see you there. Okay, so if anybody is local to Philadelphia, you have probably seen, heard, or experienced what is known as the Mummer's Strut. And I've been to many weddings where this is a dance. And I would love for John to maybe share about the strut, what it looks like, what the vibe is. It's just, it's almost an emotion. Like it's, I, I think like as soon as people hear that music, they just go right into it. Tell us about that, John. Yeah, we call it like the national anthem dance of the exactly, month. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so basically I think a lot of things, you know, on New Year's Day, we spend a lot of money and we have to raise money through the course of the year. We do that in various ways. But one of the main ways that we do it is we do, approximately 50 to 60 events, whether it be a 4th of July parade, uh, Memorial Day parade, but we do things, uh, a lot of weddings as well. Um, and you know, when I was captain, you know, one of my jobs for all the years was to announce. So I always had the microphone in my hand talking about, you know, what we're going to do next. And I would always get our, our people around or, or the, the gathering, the wedding party. And we would teach everyone the mummer strut. 
Um, and basically what I would say is I want you to put your number one finger up, like, and depending where we were, the Eagles, the Flyers, every once in a while I would lie. If we were in Boston, I would say the Patriots or something. <laughs> number one, you know, sign up in the air. And I would say, put your behind out. And they mm -hmm. would behind out. And I know we're on the radio here and listening, but, and basically move your feet up and down and turn around and do si do and you have the mummer strut. And That's then, a great description, yeah. yeah. So we would get people out and we would get them to uh, to dance. But when we're at concerts, like, you know, we're at, a, you know, like in Ridley Park, you know, Delaware County, we do, you know, and we're in the band show, we do like a question and answers period. So a lot of times, this one time I, I remember the most, where this gentleman goes to the microphone out in the audience and he says, okay, we, the mummer strut's awesome. I'm from the Philadelphia area, but where did it come from? And basically what we would, the story that I always told was the parade started in 1901. And, and currently right now we have a lead car on New Year's Day or Winnebago that has a sign that says Greater Kensington String Band and tells you what our theme is. But back in the 1900s, they didn't have obviously automotives. Right. So what was the one thing I'm asking you both? What was the one thing do you think that led the bands up the street? Horses. Horse. Horses. So the horses would have to do their duty and drop along the way. And in the 1900s, the mummer strut came from actually trying to avoid all horses. <laughs> and that's where the... Love it. <laughs> that is the story. Whether it's true or not, that's the story that I told that was passed down from all the captains before me. I am yeah. telling that story. I am, yeah. I am taking that. I am taking it so many places. This is great. The so crappy you, history you, of the mummer. You put your number one sign out and you put your behind out and you avoid all the horsemen or up the street. That's where the mummer struck came from. So that's that story. Well, that, that's an interesting one. I'm glad that you shared that uh, with us. So I actually joined Greater Kensington to start helping you guys out very close to the end of the year. It was already around December when I first showed up. But even from that moment, I felt it accelerating and accelerating towards the finish. Things really came to a head in the last week. It's very similar to like the finals week that many of our listeners might be used to. Could you walk us through sort of what it's like for you? being the kind of lead person in charge of the ensemble the week before the performance? Yeah. So I think that's perfect. That's a perfect analogy too, because I work at a university. I have kids that are taking finals. And, and if, if you ask a college kid to describe what their, their finals week is, I think it's what us as mummers would say the day after Christmas through New Year's Day, we call it hell week. Um, you know, it's oh, like yeah. where everything is crammed into one. Um, you know, if you're a diehard older guy like myself, we kind of conditioned ourselves to like just get Christmas out of the way. And I know it might sound bad, especially when if you have little kids, but I literally couldn't wait till Christmas was over to get the going and getting all the stuff that we had to prepare for. And ironically, the story that I wanted to say is so I met my wife in um, in the Mummers in Hegeman when I first joined back in 1994. Um and unfortunately, she passed away a little while back from cancer. But I, when I met her that first year, her birthday was December 29th. So oh, wow. we had to make an agreement that her birthday was from now on going to be celebrated on January 29th. So we were going to make a big deal about it. We were going to do a whole big thing. And every year I tried. Now, I had a cake for her after rehearsal on the 29th every year. We brought it back in the string band at the club would sing happy birthday to her. 
And I did give her a gift on the 29th as well. But we celebrated and did the weekend away or did the dinner or whatever we did when we had kids. We had family dinner on January 29th because during that week, you just spend your entire time, um, your entire time at the string band club, you know, whether it's fixing costumes that don't fit or fell off during your dress rehearsal, right. props, putting all the stuff, Stephen, that you saw us do. Like it's, there's just a laundry list and we make a big one. And I was usually the person that was, I am now that keeps track of what needs to get done. And we have many people are off between Christmas and New Year's, you know, mm-hmm. with their jobs, um, or at least off maybe one day be- after Christmas or a couple of days before New Year's. So we often have 20, 30 people just working in the gym where we rehearse with props or in the clubhouse with costumes. Uh, and then we obviously have rehearsals and prop rehearsal and dress rehearsal that week as well. So um, there's no doubt that I mentioned being on vacation right now or I needed a recovery time because I spent pretty much every single waking hour that week at the Stringman Club. Right. And you're the master organizer in charge, kind of just making sure that all the different functions, everyone else is doing everything they need to. But in this role, yes. I mean, the thing that's been unique for me in the last two years is I was doing that same thing in my other group. And I was trying to be good myself as captain of the band. And, um, you know, when I a few years back, when we had Todd come in and help us, he took a lot of that off of me. And then I became able to I was able to work on my own stuff and concentrate on me. Now, with Jeremy and me being involved, the captain currently, Sean, is able to kind of do that as well. We got to a point like on Tuesday of the week of where I had to have this candid conversation, which I don't know if Jeremy remembers. It was a little bit more indignant and said, you need to go and concentrate on being good yourself. Like my daughter was his choreographer and, you know, she's taken up with our family tradition as well. We're all involved and, you know. You know, he did great on New Year's Day because he really started to concentrate on himself. And I was able to, to work with and making sure everything kind of came together. That, that's awesome. And, and then what a what a commitment you guys all do. I mean, it's a, it, we all see the end result as the viewers, whether we're watching at home or on the parade route. But it's a lot. It's a lot of work and a lot of commitment and passion from you guys. It's really it's very impressive. It really is. And for those of you who haven't seen a Mummers Parade, I would invite you to, to either Google, YouTube, find them on, you know, on social media and take a look because the, the payoff is definitely worth it. Um, John, I just want you to know we have a little bit of a, a fun event that we like to do with our guests. And we usually have a game of some sort. And I think Stephen has all the rules that we can go over for you. I surely do. So since you're the all-knowing mummer, uh, you're a grand encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to winners, <laughs> we thought that we could give you a little quiz. So you'll have 60 seconds to get as many of these right as possible. The okay. game's simple. Beth will be giving you a year. You'll tell us the winner. And bonus points if you could also tell us who won captain that year. Oh, wow. I'll be keeping time. I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Are you All ready? Right. I'm not ready. I need to have my timer ready to go. Okay, so I'm you nearly tell me, ready. When you, say, when you say go, I'll say the first year. All right. Well, it's not fair if you go back to like 1920. <laughs> Starting from 1901. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. I'll give you a uh, – we're not starting from 1901, I'm sure. Okay, but, okay. Um, <laughs> no. I'll give you a three, two, one, and then Beth will begin. All right. Three – Two, one, go. 1990. 1990 was Polish-American string band. 
Right. Do you know the captain? Captain that won, I'm going to guess, was Stan Magenta. That Bobby Cunningham. <sighs> 2014. 2014 was... Captain was Jimmy Good. No, wait, I won Captain. There you go. Wait, I won. Okay. So that means uh, Quaker City won first prize. I won Captain. Correct. 2020. 2020 was the year I sat out. South Philadelphia string band, Danny Palandro. Correct. On both. 2000. 2000. Whoa. Uh, Frowinger, Bill Bowen. That's the captain who won... Uh, okay, so the winner uh, was Furco Stringman. Mm, Quaker City. Quaker 1930. City. Oh, geez, 1930. Last uh, one. What's that? Last one. Oh, 1930. I'll go Harrogate That Furco. Furco. That's your uh-huh. Give me one more as a bonus. Come on. Okay, bon- bonus 1987. 1987 was Hegeman got third. Um, Quaker City and Bob Shannon. Nope, it was Freilinger. Oh my God, why am I so bad at this? <laughs> <laughs> Your theme was Copa, B- Copa oh, Banana. The best theme of all time, but then the next year was Quaker and when they did Hills Are Alive. Okay. Ah, oh, okay. Bill Bowen Jr. did was the 87's captain of the year. Okay, so I was kind of half and half. I think you did pretty well. I feel yeah. like with a 30-year career in this Mummers activity that it would start to blend together for me right away so, so I, i'm pretty I, impressed i know like 86 to like 90 when i was like mummer geeky guy I, <laughs> like 15 years like everything and i got the 87 one wrong that, you know that's all good uh it's a lot of time to go to cover and for anybody so well i just wanted to, to thank you thank you john for joining us today it, it's been a real pleasure and your your knowledge base is just it's unmatchable um, next week, we have members from Greater Kensington to talk to us more about the Amazing Acts activity. So we're excited to talk to them. But in the meantime, John, can you tell us a little bit more about how we can find out about the Mummers and, and you and how to get involved with Mummers on social media or how to contact anybody? Yeah. So like the Philadelphia Stringman Association has a social media in every medium, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Instagram, uh, Twitter, our personal one, we do have the same thing, Greater Kensington Stringman. All you have to do is Google it. Um, we are on Edmond Street, right in Northeast Philly, where 95 and Cotman Avenue come together. But we are looking to increase our membership of just people that want to be involved. So if you like what you heard, you don't have to play an instrument because, to be honest with you, you could learn. If you choose not to learn, you could be a social member. We never really touched on how this is a social activity throughout the year, too. And one of the reasons why I love this string band over some of the others that were calling me when I kind of was sitting out that one year after leaving um, Hageman Stringman is that these guys uh, and girls do a lot of stuff together. You know, guys that are in, you know, bands on Friday night. I play golf with some of these guys. We've gone out uh, to baseball games, you know, mixing families. That's kind of what this is all based about. And like somebody like my daughter at 20 and me at 50 and my son at 18 have different factions of people that can that they can meet and become friends with. So, yeah, we are looking for people, whether you play an instrument, whether you dance, whether you're a builder, whether you just want to come in and check it out and see what it's like to hang out. Greater Kensington String Band on any of the social medias would be great. That's fantastic. Thanks, John, for sharing that information. Thank you again for joining us. And OK, now just to all of our listeners, let's stay tuned for news with the rest of our hosts. Now it's back to rehearsal, everybody. 
Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. Shop our extensive consignment inventory for great looks for your team that won't break your budget. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. Check out our fun merchandise and gift items. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Contact us for custom show design services. Clean out your storage areas and get money back into your budget with our consignment program. Guard Closet is here to help you get all you want and need this winter season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. Hey, this is Nicole, one of your hosts for On a Water Break, and I want to tell you about The Cookout. The Cookout is an event celebrating people of color in Color Guard. This event is happening in Dayton, Ohio, April 16th, the day after WGI finals at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel, aka headquarters. There will be presenters and speakers, networking opportunities, food, and more. To get more information on how to get your tickets to go to the cookout, visit marchingcookout.com or visit our Instagram, it's the cookout CG, or our Facebook page, The Cookout. We can't wait to see you there. Okay, everyone, put all the sequins and feathers away. John is leaving. But if you play saxophone or are interested in the mummers, definitely go check them out. I cannot believe how quick he was with all those names of groups and the years. I mean, there's no way I could do that for WGI or DCI. Anyways, it is the beginning of the winter season. We thought maybe it might be nice to start a new segment. It is called Wisdom from Whitney. Our host, Whitney, has been there and done that when it comes to teaching color guards. So who better to give us a little bit of inspiration or just plain truth? Take it away, Whitney. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Hey, everybody, this is Whitney. I would just like to give everybody some uh, quick help and info on um, what to do this weekend or whenever your first competition may be. Make sure that, you know, if you're an instructor, don't forget to breathe and take it one step at a time. Make sure that you read your director's packets and you know the flow of the competition. Don't assume that you know it. Just because you've been to that show before, they can change the flow sometimes. Uh, make sure you are confident in what you're doing, where you're going, and just be positive with your students. They are going to be a direct reflection of you. If you're feeling nervous and showing nerves, likely your members will do the same. So no matter what you're feeling, try and exude confidence and remain calm. Take some deep breaths with them before you go on the floor. It's one of my favorite things to do because um, it calms me down and it also calms the students down and just reminds them to breathe through their anxiety. Make sure that anyone that's there to help you has clear instructions on what you would like them to do. Make sure you practice how you're going to fold and unfold your tarp at the performance. This is huge for making sure that your performers and um, anyone that's on your tarp crew really is confident in what they're doing and is going to alleviate a huge amount of stress for you and everyone involved. Make sure to go through the full warm-up process, explain to the members, especially if they're a younger group and you have a lot of newbies in your group, explain to them what happens, where, how much time you have in each space, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, 
go through the hallways, walk through the hallways and give them that same experience that they would at a competition so that they feel like they've already done it when you get to that first competition and you go through the process with them. I also recommend the entire first week before you compete to do um, a little bit of a pre-show experience with them. It doesn't take a lot of time, but make them leave the gym, fold the tarp halfway according to where the timeline is that weekend, and make them go out in the hall and make them wait there for their six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes and do their pre-show rituals, make them come in, time them, do the announcements, make them feel as um, prepared as possible and replicate that feeling before they actually do their run-throughs at rehearsal. To the performers, just take some deep breaths. When you get out there, make sure you are looking up at the audience, find the judges, do not ignore them while you're setting up. Um, make sure you're not like waving at your, your mom and your friends and dad. You can absolutely acknowledge them and smile at them, perform for them. Make sure you are taking in all of your surroundings. Check out the lights as you're setting up. Check out um, the ceiling heights, are there basketball goals? Um, look around the room, where's the sound table, where are the speakers? Just be extra aware of your surroundings as you are setting up. You can take in a lot of information just by being aware of what is around you. Make sure you stay connected with everybody else on the floor and don't forget to share your love of performing and your experience with the audience and the judges. They're there to see you and they want to see you succeed. If something goes wrong, and likely it will this early in the season, you just have to keep going. Make sure you're recovering quickly. Remember that if you mess up, you are likely going to have more eyes on you because that break in the performance draws focus to you. You're going to get more credit for a swift recovery in that moment. Don't forget that you're a team and teammates have to help each other out, especially during performances. Also, don't forget to enjoy yourself and be in the moment. Enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy who you're doing it with and really just try and stay focused and remain in the now. Don't think about what has already happened or what's about to happen. Just stay with yourself and with your teammates. I hope everybody has a wonderful first competition and we cannot wait to see what everybody does this season on the floor. Have a great one. Thanks, Whitney. Well, it's the time of rehearsal where we do our gush and goes. This is the time where our hosts get to gush and go on about anything they want to do having to do with the marching arts. Let's start with Chris. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, so this past weekend, uh, I was part of the Southern California School Band and Orchestra Association Winter Conference. Uh, it's the first time we've had the conference since uh, we are all in uh, COVID protocol. So we had over 600 uh, music educators uh, and designers and uh, teachers at this conference talking all things music. And one of the segments that my company, Music and Arts, hosted was an educator, uh, music band director, uh, instrument repair session. And we had uh, nearly 50 music educators in a very small conference room going over how to uh, repad a clarinet or put new cork on, on, on an instrument. And the craziest part was the 50 band directors sharing 25 blowtorches, like the ones you would use on your creme brulee. Uh, so 50 band directors and <laughs> blowtorches in a small room. What could go wrong? Luckily, we oh did not God. burn down. 
the the room and everyone had a good time and no one burned themselves so it was a really great opportunity for them uh, it was really really popular i think we're going to try to do a summer session so thanks to all the uh, educators who came out to the ssb way conference and we hope uh you your instrument repairs go swimmingly you're brave chris <laughs> hey i didn't have to do it i just had to like hand out stuff and run away <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so they don't, so you would think they would, that the educators would have had more opportunities to learn that in college. You'd think so, but, but they, I'm glad you were there to, to educate them. Yeah, exactly. These are, these are the skills that they don't teach you in school that they desperately need to do. And other things like how to order buses for your trip, like, like you know, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. That's really cool. So I guess it's my turn to gush and go. Um, <clears throat> and I, I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm sending all of my good vibes and wishes to all the indoor programs that are launching uh, this, these in these weeks. Um, I remember a long, long time ago, I was asked to do one rehearsal as kind of a visual floor, or foot tech, if you will, for an indoor guard. And it was it was a really eye opening experience for me being a woodwind player and not having any exposure to indoor um, it was an indoor color guard and I, I kind of got the bug. I made my own flag. I was remembering this as we were talking about it last week. I made my own flag and my mom had it in the garage for years, but I, I, I really just stopped at drop spins. That's where I, I ended my illustrious career, but I'm, I'm sending all good vibes to all the students out there doing it this year. Um, and I hope you all have a successful season. It's that time of year. I want to gush and go a little bit about NFL drum lines. And first of all, shout out the number one line from the number one football team in the country. I'm talking about the birds, the Eagles drum line. <laughs> who I got to see perform live at the tailgate this weekend, and it was hype. Everyone loves them. The city of Philadelphia loves them. Uh, it looks like a good time, and I'm certainly trying to get in there maybe next year. Um did you guys Ooh. know that they're going to get rings when the Eagles win the Super Bowl in a few weeks? If, if. Wait, when? When? wait, wait. <laughs> Did you just have your own cheering section? <laughs> that was me. That was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the birds, baby. Go birds. <laughs> and yeah, that is super cool about the NFL drumline stuff. <laughs> I think that's so cool. I, uh, I'm kind of mad that I didn't get into it this year. Seems like this would have been the time. Uh, but I'm sure they could do Pete. So I hope more teams have them, and that'd be a cool thing to see. It's like a little NFL drumline thing at DCI or WGI, maybe. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, certainly, I know the, the Giants drumline's got a good one, and I've actually heard they might get one out in the Midwest soon with the Cincinnati Bengals. And there's a ton yeah. of great drumlines out in that area, so I'm sure they would be amazing. Yeah, the, the Bears have a pretty cool drumline, the 49ers, yeah. yeah. And the Ravens have a whole band. Blue Devils started, uh, well, Blue Devils Entertainment started with the... Uh, the Niner Noise, the 49ers drum line. They had those, yeah. right. those sweet looking gold and white uh, yep. drums. They looked so good. Yeah, and I think now the Blue Devils kind of manage a whole lot of different NFL drum lines, yeah. is my understanding. Yep. Yeah, what a cool thing to get involved with. Yeah, sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, hey, my gush and go is um, WGI this year is back to full rules, full timing. Everything is back to the way it was pre-pandemic. There's a show max, a show minimum time. All the rules are back in play. It's exciting. It's going to be a fun year. 
Nice. It's good to see like a, some normalcy return back to the activity there. Um, For sure. And and especially the way it comes in, like into rehearsal, everyone got to have a full season, no kind of interruptions throughout the winter. So I think we're going to see some good stuff in April. That should definitely be a good time. Okay, kids, before we get to the news, let's have ha- our amazing band parent extraordinaire, Cindy Berry, a.k.a. Leander Mama, inspire us for this week. Leander Mama with a new Mama Minute. This one is especially exciting to me because it's about one of my all-time favorite activities. Today I want to talk to you about Color Guard in the wintertime, otherwise known as Winter Guard. Winter Guard is one of those mysterious activities that most marching band members and band families don't really know much about. They appreciate the beauty and the skills that they add to a marching show, But beyond that, most of us don't give them much thought. Well, Winter Guard is when our Color Guard friends really shine. They perform incredibly well choreographed routines based on a theme. And by using dance, a bit of gymnastics, and all of the pieces of guard equipment that they can imagine, they turn high school and college gymnasiums into beautiful displays of a truly exquisite art and they turn it all into the most exciting and amazing competitions you can imagine. Now, unlike BOA, the guards are classified not by size, but by skill level and expertise. Often you will see schools bringing more than one guard to a contest. They might have a beginner group, a JV and a varsity group, and each class competes against other guards in their same class. Now, another really cool thing about Winter Guard is it includes independent classes who are not affiliated with high schools, but who compete on a more professional level. You honestly haven't experienced anything like going to a Winter Guard contest and seeing these DCI-like performances from some of these independent groups. But even some of the high school guards will perform at a level that will absolutely blow your mind. If you have never been to a Winter Guard competition, I invite you to do so this year. The season starts in full force this weekend and it ends with World Championships in Dayton, Ohio in April. Now I could talk a whole lot more about World Championships, but I'll save that for another time. Thanks for listening to today's Mama Minute. Then you can find me here on this podcast or you can find me on Instagram at LeanderMama. You might also be able to find me at a WGI contest this winter. I will be in Austin in March, and I am planning to be at World Championships in April. And I would love to meet you guys. Have a great week, everyone. Cindy's enthusiasm for Winterguard is well known, so make sure you follow her at Leander Mama so you can get all the good clips from this winter. It is time for the news. Tom, why don't you start us off? So, talk about being in the right place at the right time in the right moment. There was a... a, The Mummers had a parade. There's a person that was involved with being a Mummer, a performer. I don't know if he was a musician, but he, he was a performer with the Mummers. He went to an Eagles game dressed in his Mummers costume. And a fan was having some sort of um, emergency moment. He, he sprung into action as an emergency room 
uh, tech and pretty much saved this guy's life. Hit him and another oh, wow. fan that was a nurse. Like, and the guy wakes up to seeing this guy leaning over him in full pink and green <laughs> bummer's costume at a, at a football game. Like, where am I now, right? That must be one of the most, like, Philadelphia experiences <clears throat> that anyone has ever had. Well, saying that, the guy w- comes to and he asks what the score of the game was. <laughs> and that's also a that's very him. silly reaction because it's all about the game. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's all about the birds. I know it all too well. Um, my news story for this week, the Mummers actually have their own official drink now. It's called a uh, Mummers Row Philly Tea, which is a collaboration with Kiki Vodka, a, a distillery in Montgomery County. I got to try it on uh, one of the parades down two street a couple weeks back. And uh, it's good. It kind of it's like a twisted tea a little bit. If, if you've ever tasted that, but maybe a little smoother. I actually liked it a lot. So I'm going to have to keep my eye open for where they're selling Mummer's Philly tea. They should they should have a glitter bomb that goes off when you crack it open. Oh, because oh, I mean, that's, that's such a good idea. Right. You know, I mean, Guinness Those is would a, be a oh. hit at the parade. Oh. Uh, be so much fun at home, right? Just in your lap everywhere. Well, yeah, well the, mummer, the Mummers is subtle. So, you know, you need a subtle drink to go with a subtle parade. So, you know, right. <laughs> Chris, you have a non-Mummers story. This looks interesting. Yes. Uh, so a, uh, a high school band in Pennsylvania, United High School, uh, was planning a trip to Disney World in April. And uh, it was found out that uh, a lot that the money that they were raising for years for this trip uh, had gone missing. Uh, and that was like so state, the Pennsylvania State Police is investigating, but they don't have any information regarding more about it right now. But it turns out that a uh, Penn's Manor High School uh, offered to have the United High School Band join them on their trip. Uh, to Disney World in April, and uh, I just think it's a wonderful opportunity uh, to see another group extending extending a hand out and helping out these these uh, talented kids, so they can have that ex- that, that same experience. Um, it, it's just it's awful to see people stealing from other kids for no apparent reason, and uh, but they, kudos and shout out to the Penns Manor Area High School Marching Band for uh, uh, bringing United on board. So that's that's pretty incredible. You know, Yeah, that's an insane gesture. Wow. Figure out who did it is my question. Like, I want the tea here. I do, too. I haven't been able to. They, they're still trying to figure out uh, who, who is involved with this theft. But I, me, too. I definitely want to find out. I, I have a well, of course, being in, in travel and group travel, this this really hit my hit my heart I hard. Bet. And it also, you know, it's a, a unfortunately in this day and age, you do have to look out for things like this and have, make sure you have a trusted person in charge of your money, whatever your program is, you know, and maybe making sure maybe there's more than one person. So you've got, you know, some coverage to make sure that things are being done above board. You know, it's really sad to think that anybody would would take advantage of fundraising money. I mean, we all know what it's like to have to try to sell candy bars or Christmas wreaths or right. wrapping paper to try to just to try to do your activity and to yeah. to hear that that was abused in any way is really you abuse the trust of the kids and you know they, they could taint them for their activity. But Penn's Manor standing up to do that is just 
it's so heartwarming. Yeah. Um, but as a travel planner, I would want I would encourage everybody when you when you are planning your trips, folks, and you're doing these these big fundraising projects, really make sure you have you know more than one person in charge of the money so that there's some accountability. But also, if you do hire a tour operator, a lot of times they can help you with collecting the money and keeping it in an escrow account for you so that this type of thing doesn't happen. So just a, a little bit of a PSA for people that are planning their trips or saving the money, you know, but those are the two things that I really wanted to make sure we, we shared with, you know, the positive part of this trip, you know, for these kids is that Penn's Manor is, is incorporating them and what a great experience. Yeah. Right. We all know what the benefits of, of the marketing sure. activity is. That's some really so great. It's really nice great. Stuff. Wow. You know, you, you see like the spotlight of these top groups and they're well managed, but you forget there's still a lot of small town programs that, oh, yeah. you know, this one trip every so many years is what they do. And yeah. you know, it's not operated on the level of these other programs, you know, where they have that whole checks and balance system all lined up. Exactly. And and it just requires, you know, maybe just a second person. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have Absolutely. to be anything extravagant, just like two people instead of one. And that can make yep. a world of difference for a small program like uh, like United. Yeah. Well, so. and I also found it interesting, too, that the United High School is nowhere near Penn's Manor. Uh, uh, United's, uh, United High School, I think, is out near the Pittsburgh area, like near Johnstown, I think. And Penn's Manor yep. is down in the York area. So that's quite a distance for them to 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 travel you know so it uh, to yeah. see that be extended out across the state is fantastic it really is you know the siren went out and Penn's Manor was able to step up and, and welcome them in and that's that's amazing yeah well I'm here to talk about uh, the FAMU marching 100 so Florida A&M University's marching 100 uh, recently experienced an all expenses paid trip to LA uh, where they performed at the Chosen Ones Invitational High School Basketball Tournament, which is a pretty big deal on the West Coast. And I've seen some uh, news news uh, magazine articles about it on television and ESPN. Um, but 60 band students, along with their staff and media team members, flew to L.A. And uh, they were at the US, uh, University of Southern California's Galen Center on the 7th of January. So they played three halftime shows with tunes from Earth, Wind and Fire, About Damn Time by Lizzo, Cuff It and Break My Soul by Beyonce and Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. So clearly they came to entertain. This was not going to be a quiet sit back kind of uh, kind of halftime <laughs> show for any of these experiences. So um, it's really exciting for FAMU to be able to travel across country. You know, LeBron James is involved in this activity. Um, so and he's a big supporter of their program at FAMU. So it was a, a big opportunity. And anytime a, a band can or a group can travel across country, that takes a lot. It's a lot. It's a big undertaking and it's great for the university. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I remember thinking back to my own college band experience that like a the halftime shows, they were just all about fun, which is so different from like those competitive bands that a lot of us are used to. And the audiences yeah. loved it every time. So like getting to get out there and it almost in some ways can be more impactful because people are just having a great time. The band like lights up the world when they're there. 
But I think as soon as they recognize the songs, and that's what I think when you yeah, do those oh, totally. popular popular tunes, you know, the audience engages immediately because it's something they're already listening to, and then they hear it, they're like, "Hey, I know that song," and they they tend to get more engaged. Which yeah, is really I think awkward. like my favorite halftime show, we we had a part of it that was the "If You Like Pina Coladas" song. <laughs> oh wow! And that was like it was such a jam for everyone in the Penn State Blue Band and like the <laughs> hundred thousand people in the stadium. We all love Pina Coladas up there. So <laughs> that's great. Well, and those fans are really going to like remember how you made them feel, like more so than even they're going to remember, you know, intricate drill or anything like that. I think you're right, Jackie. You know, they just, it is. It's about how you made them feel. Absolutely. Um, well, wrapping up the news with this week, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. We have some great people that we're coming on to interview, most of whom were performers with the Greater Kensington uh, String Band this last week or this last uh, New Year's Day. Uh, they come from different walks of life, too. We've got some folks that are younger, some folks a little older, some instrumentalists, some dancers or color guard type of people as well. And they're all going to share their experience as well as what it really meant for them to be a part of the Greater Kensington String Band and to be in the Mummers activity. Um, but I think you'll really like it. Make sure you check it out. Absolutely. I think, Stephen, it was really exciting to talk to them and experience, you know, a little bit peripherally what they taught, what they what they saw and experienced as, as members of the parade. Um, and I know you can speak to that a little bit, too. And we get to hear a little bit of your experience, too, which is really fun. Um, it's kind of having the inside track. So if you're listening to us, make sure you take a Stay tuned for next week. Okay, everyone. Thanks for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you to our hosts, Chris, Whitney, Cindy, Stephen, Beth, and Tom. Thank you to the amazing John Barron. Follow him at Coach Barron or follow the Greater Kensington String Band at Greater Kensington String Band, all one word. To learn more about the Mummers, go to mummersmuseum.com. And stay tuned next week. We're going to talk to some members of string bands and hear more about this crazy marching arts activity. Go subscribe, write us a review, and share this with a friend. We will see you at the next rehearsal on a water break. Go practice. Thank Bye. you. Have a great week. Woo-hoo.